I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com This is Jim Asker on the Billboard Chart Beat Podcast. I'm the manager of Billboard's country, Christian, bluegrass, and gospel charts. Not Americana yet, Jed. Okay. Although I hope to trade for that soon. Awesome. Um, anyway, we are here today with my guests, and I'm really happy to have them here. Dave Cobb. Welcome, Dave. Thanks, man. Producer extraordinaire. And Jed Hilly, who is executive director of the Americana Music Association. It's great so to be here. Welcome, everyone. Um, I just want to run through a sampling of the artists that Dave has produced um, for our listeners. Chris Stapleton, Sturgill Simpson, Jason Isbell, Mary Chapin Carpenter, Shooter Jennings, Holly Williams, Jamie Johnson, Lake Street Dive. I love them, by the way. Oh, great. Um, this past year, you released your own Southern Family album. It was a tremendous album. I want to talk about with um, just a song I was listening to about three times yesterday, Brandy Clark, John Paul White, Rich Robinson from the Black Crows, and many more. 2015 was the year for Chris Stapleton, the Traveler album. I just looked at Nielsen yesterday. It sold 1.4 million units God. now. Um, congratulations. Thank you. Awesome. And it's garnered so many awards, including Album of the Year from both the CMA, the Country Music Association, the Academy of Country Music, the Grammys. So, Dave, first things first. And nominated uh, also in the uh, Americana Academy. Excellent. <laughs> And we'll talk about your conference coming up, too. <laughs> but I want to ask you, first of all, this is something, you know, I started, I had 3,000 record albums by the time I was 17 years wow. old. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Hi-Fi, that was yeah, us yeah. in our neighborhood. Nice. Um, and we never knew what a producer did. We would look at... I still don't. <laughs> ...the back, Phil Spector, and all the great producers that we loved. George Martin, of course. Yeah. And, but we never really knew what, what exactly a producer does. And to tell you the truth, a lot of our readers probably aren't users and listeners... 
And I'm not still clear. So first things first, can you give us a snapshot of yeah, the Yeah, I, I think role? a producer is like a director of a film. It's very much the same. You know, you have a, sometimes you have, for a film you have a writer, mm-hmm. then you have the actors, and you have you have uh, the setting behind it. But it's the director that really kind of ties it all together. So I think it's like a director of a film in a lot of ways. You know, and sometimes I, I wind up. You know, the, the artist comes in with a song and we just arrange it together. Sometimes we help write the song. Sometimes we're, you know, spiritual advisor. I mean, it, it changes every time. And it probably changes from yeah. act to act depending on Absolutely. It's never the same. Your role. Well, what kind of music did you listen to growing up? As a kid in Georgia, correct? Yeah. My, my grandmother's a Pentecostal minister, so I wasn't really allowed to listen to a lot. You know, my dad didn't have 50s rock and roll stuff, which I loved, Buddy Holly and Elvis and things like that. But primarily, hear hymnals in church, and I'd sneak out oh. and buy Black Sabbath records and Aussie records and, <laughs> you know, anything but what I grew up on. So it was kind of like, was, yeah, of course. I mean, come on. Black Sabbath, I think, is probably the heaviest rock band of all time. So I had to hide that stuff. So I kind of grew up with a, a balance of, you know, the old way and then sneaking in, you know, devil music when I could. You know? <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Judd, what kind of music did you listen to growing up? Uh, well, my family had a farm in Vermont, and um, oh. so I actually, uh, uh, in my early upbringing, I went to fiddle contests and bluegrass contests. I think the first record I bought was Neil Young's Harvest. Mm. One of my uh, top ten all-time favorite albums, period. Great record. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, that sort of um, late 60s, early 70s, you know, thing that was happening, and, and um, which, which was broad. But it, in many ways, you know, the band, it was the roots of Americana, which I, you know, kind of came around to. Um, by the time The I, band? Robbie the Robertson's band. band. Yeah. Was or Lee Von Helm. Yeah. And <laughs> He's probably the greatest singer of all time, I Hudson. think. I think so, too. I wanted to ask um, Dave about this. Um, you were born in 1974, correct? Yeah, correct. And that was right after the Woodstock generation. Yeah. And the music of the early 70s, I think, gets branded by a lot of people as a, a classic time period. The Allman Brothers, the band, the Grateful Dead, yeah. Poco, on and on. A lot of that music would be considered Americana today, and it just seems like I that. I think you just named Harvest. That might be the quintessential Americana record of all time, right? Yeah. And that common that. thread seems to run through your music, that soul Am I correct? Or? Yeah, I, I, I think the music I love has soul, whether it's soul music, rock and roll, country, you know, bluegrass. I'm always looking for kind of a soul in music, you know. Some, it's not necessarily about hits. It's about things that just make you feel a certain way and affect you. They're, you know, the songs you listen to, it makes your hair stand up on your, your, on your arms. That's what I'm always looking for in music, period. The fir- first album I bought was the Dave Clark Five, Glad oh, All yeah. Over. Yeah, um, Glad that All Over. As an eight-year-old, right? Um, yeah. What was the first album you bought? Uh, Karma Chameleon Culture Club awesome. <laughs> and Come On Eileen the 45s in the same oh, day you can only buy them at the grocery store I think I had to sneak and buy it you know and, but, yeah. and Jed do you remember the first record you bought I, Harvest I think was the first album yeah uh, although uh, Cheech and Chung's Big Bamboo was the first album go. I was gifted <laughs> uh, for my 11th birthday that's a good um, one and the first single I, I bought uh, 45 was uh, 8 Days a Week wow ooh great song favorite mm-hmm. band of all time and I want to get to this later a little bit with both of you, but, you know, a record, especially when you're a kid, open it up, you read the liner notes for days, and I remember when I was a huge Springsteen fan, and I, I, we were waiting for the Born to Run record to come out. In the Northeast, It was he yeah. was already a big thing there, and we were waiting. I probably spent two weeks with that record. It was just larger than life, and yeah. I, I, I'm afraid now, you know, with streaming and consumption that, I mean, is there still that enchantment with young people with music can you still get that i think it i think it kind of moved into the live arena don't you 
Yeah, I mean, I, I had a great experience. I set up my turntable a few years back um, after it had been boxed up for a long time. And my then 12-year-old daughter, it, and, and she loved the Civil Wars. And, uh, and I played that first record for her. And she literally sat in between the two speakers and curled up on the floor, like, into a fetal position. And it just reminded me, oh, I think, of what you're so talking nice. about. You know, that experience of living with a record. I mean, that's how we, that's how we, we lived. And I would like to see that, I, I'd like to see that rolled back. I think the biggest crime of, uh, of streaming occurred when the Beatles were launched. And if I were running Apple, I think I would have insisted that they only allowed, at least for six months, each one of those records be listened to in sequence mm. out of respect for the producer, out of respect for the band out of, and out of respect for the the art that is album I mean, you make yeah. you make art, yeah. you make albums well, you don't lucky. make singles, forgive right. me if yeah, you no, think it's you true. do. It's true, I don't. Are, are you guys both Beatles fans? My favorite band of all time by far. Is, is it true that um, I heard the story I've read a few bios on the Beatles that they were rejected so many times by different labels, but when they were finally signed to EMI, that every producer turned them down, and George Martin was actually the last one on the list. George Martin that, was producing comedy records. Right. Yeah. And he, he said records, yes. Yeah. And then he turns out to be the yeah. greatest producer yeah. of all time, question, arguably. Yeah. It's Maybe a great Sam lesson. Maybe, yeah. It's a great lesson for kids, everyone, that you know you could be rejected over and over and over yeah. again. But Yeah. Absolutely. Know. Do you guys remember um, Dave first? Do you remember the first concert you went to? Kenny Rogers, four times in a row. Excellent. Like a four night stand? <laughs> no, every time Kenny Rogers came to town, my parents had to in go Savannah? see Kenny Yeah, in Savannah, Georgia. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why I started listening to rock and roll. <laughs> Was yeah, that I ran away from country because of four of those concerts <laughs> in a row? What, what period uh, for Kenny Rogers? Rogers? Yeah, beat Was it out. Uh, like, I don't know, 78 maybe? 77, 78? Some great songs. 80? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, no, he's got great songs. Yeah, and and I appreciate vocalist. it now. I appreciate it. Now. Incredible. Yeah. I do like his 60s uh, hippie stuff he did, though, you know? Yeah. yeah. And how about you, Jed? Do you remember the first um, concert? I think the first one I went to might have been Bonnie Raitt and Asleep at the Wheel. Oh, that's a good start. But that was in a hometown in Vermont. And, uh, but then uh, it, it, was, uh, it was the Black and Blue Tour, I think, when I was a teenager that I actually at Nassau Coliseum in Long Island that my parents actually let me walk into the arena without them and me and my buddy Dave wow. went to that. I saw many shows at Nassau Coliseum. Yeah. I grew up upstate, but there, there's so many great shows at Nassau Coliseum. Yeah. And it was a great time that um, I grew up in a town upstate New York where we could actually, as teenagers, walk downtown to the hockey arena. That's the first time I saw faces. Wow. We were in school. Oh, yeah, lucky you. Like 15-year-olds, and we were, you know, our parents let us do what we wanted to do. Where was that? Uh, I grew up near Syracuse, uh -huh. so we would be able to walk down to the auditorium and see Humble Pie or The Faces or The Grateful Dead or whoever was rolling through town. That's cool. You know, and it was just so accessible. I see the sunrise creeping in. Um, can we jump ahead a little bit? I want to uh, jump ahead to that moment on November 4th. Um, at the Country Music Awards. Right. And um, I just would like to say, Dave, that I was in the auditorium that night, and that moment with Chris Stapleton and Justin Timberlake, it was like 
all the people that I was near, that business, music industry right. types, were all talking and talking. And then that happened, and everybody stopped what they were doing. And it just seemed like one of those moments that I haven't felt in a long time that you just witnessed something special just really happened. Where, and what, So what was that like being on stage that night? I and think, we're talking I, I, about... I think, yeah, sorry, the Chris Stapleton, Justin Timberlake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, Chris and I were just surprised that we were asked to... to to get to play the show and and so we were really humbled and honored to be there and just thought you know this is going to be an amazing day we get to go play and then we'll leave and we've done that you know but i think you know as as we started to play the song i remember looking out and i was looking at the other country artists that were on the front couple rows and i was watching their face and their face they they had this they were all glowing and it not not because it was you know the performance it was glowing because of the the support for chris they were all there for him and he'd been friends with these people in the audience for a while he'd written songs with some of the other artists and they were just so happy for him and i just you could feel the energy on stage because everybody was so proud and supportive of him and it was just an amazing feeling you know i, I just remember looking over you know at justin and and chris and they had this beaming smile i don't know the whole thing was just this big light of energy from everybody i sound like a hippie i lived in california for too long i just want to say congratulations on producing that record well Um, he co-produced it with me and he it's an honor yeah and and are there any plans for a new chris stapleton record now yeah yeah we're gonna make one anything you (laughs) that's about where i have to leave it (laughs) um can you share if you're gonna produce it yes oh very good all right because um, I was gonna, I wanted to ask what was next Co-produce. for Chris. And when you recorded that, did you have any idea of how big of a record? No, that man. Was we be? just went in there and we wanted to make you know a record that that we enjoyed. You know, we thought that maybe it'd sell twenty, thirty thousand records, and that would be the end of it, and maybe get to sell enough to be able to make another one. You know, so but we we had a blast making that album. I mean, it really defi- it defied everything you're supposed to do when you make an album. I mean, we walked in the studio, great studio, RCA Studio A, historic one here in Nashville. We had an incredible engineer, this guy Vance Powell, and we walk in the studio, and the first thing we did is, you know, order lunch, hang out, goof off, drink a little bit, tell jokes, order dinner, tell jokes, look at guitars, go guitar shopping, and we didn't start recording until 8 or 9 o'clock at night. It was it was like it's if you were 15 playing hooky, and we'd start recording, and we'd get two or three master takes every day, and it'd be finished. They're just like the record. We had an incredible engineer, so when you listen back to the playback, it, it is the album. It's, and a lot of the mixes on the album are just those tracking mixes at the end of the day. So it was just a, one of those things. It just Everything felt too good to be true on the whole the whole record. Just an absolute pleasure to make that album. Hmm. But you must have realized something special was happening when you were I mean, the music felt special, absolutely. Yeah. But you never know about the business side, what's going to happen with an album after it's made, you know? Was Chris surprised that night when he won all the awards? Yeah, yeah. We, we I know for a fact that none of us thought anything was going to happen that night. You it, know, it's just too out of the too out of the, the realm of possibility. So, Aside from being tremendous, he just I haven't met him, but he seems like he's just this he's warm, nice guy. He's a genuine, nice incredible guy. human being. He is. He really is an incredible guy. He just seems so humble when he accepts awards. And Well, I think he's shocked by it every time, you know. It's, 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 he's kind of getting to live a lot of his fantasies, you know. I got it to see him at the Ryman. Um, I was there. Yeah. yeah, you were on stage. Yeah. Exactly, because somebody pointed you out, that's Steve Cobb. And, um but it felt like I was watching the Allman Brothers in 1972. Really? Yeah. It just wow. ha- I said that to the person next to me. I just I said it. I feel like I'm back in time. It just had that sense of um, has that album changed the direction of music at all? Because we saw it as almost a line. I can't speak for that. You know, we, I don't know. Jed, do you, what do yeah. you think? Because we saw it as kind of a line in the sand. Like 
the, the music's going to go back to being more organic again. I'm talking about the country chart. Yeah, I don't know that that the that the country business. Uh, I think uh, I think it's been a combination. Of, I think that was a uh, it was a turning point. I don't know that it was a line in the sand. I think the work Dave's been doing, the artists you mentioned, he's he's produced. Um, you know, I I think the rise and success, honestly, of Mumford of the Civil Wars, the Lumineers. Um, I I think um, you know the work that T Bone and Buddy. Miller did uh, for the national TV show, you know, where most of those songs, mm. you know, that the core songs in, in those first years of that show, you know, were more Americana driven than they were commercially driven. Okay. Um, I think the jury's still out uh, on whether it was a line in the sand. I think it definitely um, may have helped to spawn something new in the future. Good. Because I, I, I want to ask you both. Um, what do you think of country radio today? Jed, you go first. Among, <laughs> lab- among label execs, we've heard that it, it used to be more Americana, singer-songwriter-driven. I happen to know that because I programmed radio stations a long time. But now, in many ways, it's a pop format. And is that good or bad? Jed, you first. Well, I, I think there's a difference. You know, the, the, the work that I represent, and, and I think by and large that Dave produces, it, it, they, it is fine art. And I think there's a difference between fine art and commercial art, and that's not that's mm. neither good nor bad. Um, but it is a different perspective. I think when when Chris went to Dave and, and said, you know, here are my songs, they were songs that Chris wrote to tell stories through music in the best way that he could, not to write a number one hit. Mm-hmm. And by and large, if you look at what's played on country radio today, they are written, they are selected, to be because people believe that they will be hits. And mm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that anybody would disagree with that. And I wouldn't say that that's bad. It's not what I, I can't even speak to country radio because I actually, I, I don't listen to it. Uh, it's not part of my, okay. my world. But I do know the difference in the music. And by and large, the difference in the music is, uh, is, is that those songs on commercial country radio are geared to sell, are geared to be number one hits for the commercial radio format, and that's very different from the world okay. of artists that I that I work in. I can't say that's bad. I mean, people are making money. I think that's great. Dave, I, I would say now is the first time in my lifetime that I've seen a, a, a kind of a a playing field where a Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon could exist. And I say that, and I bring that up because Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon, completely an art concept album. But you know, you think about songs like Money; they were radio hits. You know, or Led Zeppelin. You know, I feel like we're we're in this place where albums can actually break through with a song off an album for radio, and I hope that happens with country radio. And I think it, I think it will. I think it will because I've met country radio programmers, and a lot of them are really amazing people, and they have There's really great still musical a lot of taste. Great programmers yeah, there are, there are. Who so have ridden through yeah, different times. Totally, and, and I feel like they're excited. You know, buddy of mine, Michael Bryan, here in town. I feel like he's a risk taker. He played Chris Stapleton way before uh, anything had happened with CMAs or whatever, and, and took a risk on it. You know, he was the first guy, and people looked at him like, you know. What's he doing doing that? But he did it. And, and so I feel like there are other people like him that are taking chances. And Michael, and, and for our listeners, is, uh, works for iHeartMedia, yeah. and he programs WSIX, one of the most yeah. popular country stations. Yeah, Really good guy, too. Um, so can we talk about your Southern Family record for sure. a minute? Um, because I, fo- I found it fascinating that what led you to that um, was inspired by White Mansions, yeah. which is what from, what, 1970? 78. 
produced by Glenn Johns, who yeah. produced a lot of great rock Rit- and roll. Written records. by English guy Paul Kennerly, one of my heroes. And they, who moved to Nashville and wrote songs for Waylon and the Everly right. Brothers and Johnny Cash and Marty Stewart, Hillbilly Rock, one of my heroes. And uh, and Glenn Johns just produced the latest Eric Clapton record. I'm so happy. That that's such a cool thing. That that that's seventy four years make. old. Yeah, because that? Eric Clapton was also on White Mansions as the guitar player. So uh, yeah. So what um, led you to picking the artist that you used? Uh, that was completely selfish. I mean, the people. I love their voices. I love Brandy Clark's voice. I loved Miranda Lambert. You know, I always thought she. She's an artist I've always thought made really honest records that were commercially successful, you know, so I was a big fan of hers, and, you know, I'm a big Black Crows fan, so I got rich from the Black Crows, and, and uh, the kind of list goes on and on of, of people that I just adored. And obviously, I wanted to have people that I'm, you know, friends of mine like Chris Stapleton and Morgan Stapleton and, right. uh, and Jason Isabel, you know, uh, so it, it was good. I just threw a bunch of people I love together. Talking about great albums that um, Jason Isabel album... It's fantastic from last year. Oh man, he's he's one of my favorite writers ever. I, w- I think I was telling you earlier, when he writes, it takes two or three years to digest what he actually meant in the lyrics. Sometimes when we're recording, you feel it, you know it's gr- you know there's a magic to it, and then two or three year- years later, I go, man, that's what he meant. He has that power with a pen. He's he's hmm. he's he's he's, he's, he's otherworldly. map of my heart looks a lot like yours From the one-way streets to the old detours To the dark dead ends with their missing. Can I ask you about the uh, Mary Chapin Carpenter yeah. record? The things that we are made of? I was just listening to it in the car. Oh, very cool. And this was the first time you produced her. I happen to know John Jennings, who she worked with. He, yeah. I worked in Virginia for a long time. Sad oh, that he cool. passed away. So what she was, was the, heard about that, I think. What was it like? I mean, you working with her after she had 30 years of recording. Was I think she knew who she was. She came in the studio. And she had a real firm grasp on who she wanted to be and who she was. So I think the album is her. It's it's her memoirs. It's her just spilling her soul out on, on record. It, so she she wasn't aiming for anything. You know, I love it. I think the best records are made like that when there's no agenda except for to 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 document who they are at this point in their life. And I think that was that kind of album. It was soft and intimate, too. Yeah, but, you know, it's funny because I think there's an inclination in the studio a lot of times when somebody brings a song to start chopping arrangements to start, you know. I was going to ask don't need you that, if you, you wanted to bring it up a you, notch. You, know, you don't need the extra verse or maybe the bridge is too long or we should write this or that. But with her, you know, there are songs that have four verses, which is unusual for me to let a record go with four verses. And But you just don't want to stop hearing her speak, you know. Mm. It, it needed to be said. When she said it, it needed to be said. And every lyric was profound and... It, with the way she writes, it was impossible to edit, you know? So what you're hearing is her kind of flow of consciousness. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash spoken today. This is on the album, really. You know. Well, um, just getting back to the Southern Family record yeah. for a minute. Um, I forgot to mention that it debuted at number five on our Billboard Country Albums chart and number one on the Americana Folk Albums Amazing. chart. So congratulations Thank you. on that. And, and it... And, and, 
before I got into Mary Chapin, I just wanted to say that just really enjoyable albums, both of those oh, thank albums you. as I talk about them. Um, Dave, I read a, a Billboard interview that you like to make, and you d said this a minute ago about, you said in an interview that you like the artist to make feel like he's 15 or she's 15 years old again. Yeah. I, I thought that was an awesome quote. What, what, what does that mean, basically? Well, I think we all got, I mean, as far as the artists go, we all got into music that was fun. It was never for commercial gain. Mm -hmm. If I, if I, you know, I would have picked another career path if I, if I thought about money only. <laughs> um, but you know, we, we there's something about the first time when you when you're young and you're a musician, you go over to your friend's house and you and you bring your amplifier and load it into their garage and you plug it in and you have no idea what's going on and you jam. There's a feeling that's really hard to get back. Maybe it's maybe it's likened to I've never done cocaine, but maybe it's like <laughs> doing cocaine for the first time. When you get that first high, it's hard to ever get back there. So I try to make it feel like that. I try to take the, 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 the process out of it and make it more of a you know a, a friendly environment and creative environment that doesn't feel like they're walls or rules, you know? And you probably make, just meeting you this morning, you probably make feel people feel really comfortable. Oh, well, who knows? I think probably wine helps with that. You, um, you're recently named, I want, I want to mention this this morning, that um, you're resident producer of the famed Nashville Studio A. Um, Very fortunate on that. Can yeah. you tell, a lot of our listeners probably don't know what Studio A is, can you just... No, there's a, there's a studio here in Nashville, uh, Historic RCA Studio A, and it uh, was built in 65, and you know they recorded Dolly Parton, Jolene, and I Will Always Love You in the same day there. Uh, they, they did uh, Amos Moses, Jerry Reed, they mm -hmm. did, uh, Waylon did a bunch of stuff there, Daddy Walk Line was recorded there by Waylon Jennings. Um, it's just, you walk in the place, and it's a humongous place, it was built at the time when the Nashville sound was huge, when... You know, they, they realize they want some Sinatra money, so they started adding strings on country music, you know. So they built it to the house, full choir, string section, full band, singer all in one room. It's just it's just a really magical environment to create. And that's also where we did Chris Stapleton Traveler. Oh, as okay. well in that room, yeah. That's awesome. Um, so, speaking of classic acts, just a question. The Beatles, Johnny Cash, or Hank Williams Sr., if you have the chance the to Beatles. produce? You take the Beatles. Uh, yeah. I don't think I would do a good job, though. They're probably, you know... Yeah, I think Paul McCartney was also probably the secret producer of the Beatles, too. He'd probably teach me a bunch of stuff, you know. Well, didn't John Lennon, when Phil Spector recorded them, he went in, there was some scene that happened with a gun or something, and Lennon wanted control what? of the tapes. and um, Phil Spector with a gun? I, I no. love that. <laughs> I love those crazy stories about old rock and roll. Um, any, any dream acts that you would want to produce or any projects upcoming that you want to discuss? You know, it's funny. I, I get asked that a lot about dream acts to produce, and I think I get really excited about new artists. I get really excited about the person that, that nobody's heard of yet. I think there's something magical when you work with somebody and it's their first album, and you know, there's, there's no agenda. Nobody's looking for the album. You can kind of do it under the radar. So I always get excited about that. I actually have a, a, a an artist that I, I signed to Low Country Sound, uh, my label with Elektra, and uh, is my cousin Brent Cobb. Which right, who played on your Southern who Family played, has a track on Southern Family, which is really weird to say you're excited about your cousin because it's nepotism, but it, not at all. I signed him because he's in, one of my favorite writers, period. Um, and I think we've made a really beautiful album, and and I, th I can't wait for people to hear that. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you. And Jet, if I could add also, I had an experience about a month ago uh, where Dave invited me over to the clubhouse, and I got there, and he was in the room... Uh, with Anderson East, oh, and Anderson. is that okay yeah, if I talk about this? Right now. Yeah, I can't wait to get so I went into the into the control room, looking through the glass, 
and there's Dave and Anderson and, and, and the band basically sitting around it in a circle, making records like they used to make records. Yeah. Everybody's uh, in one room. That's They're great. recording. And I will tell you that 40 minutes, they were back and forth. They stopped. Anderson would ask you a question. You would ask Anderson a question. You made him go stand in the middle of the group at one point <laughs> to listen to how the sonically things were happening. At one point, Anderson said, I don't think we need a vocal on here. And you were like, let's try that. And there was just this incredible give and take between producer and artist mm -hmm. that literally I was with a friend and I literally turned to her and I said, this may be a momentous moment wow. that you will remember. That's great. And we will remember in 25 years. It was that extraordinary. Wow. And, and the song, I don't even know what the song is. I imagine it's going to be on the new album. Yeah. But it was absolutely unbelievable. He's one of the best singers. What a going, period, to me. I think mm -hmm. he's a, maybe the modern-day Joe Cocker. When, when is the album coming out? Uh, it'll probably be out early next year. We're, we're, we're working on it now. So, uh, Judd, you lead all aspects of the Americana Music Association. I've got to ask you, um, since I asked Dave the producer question, you know, I, I work portably, so I work from coffee shops, and, and every barista has an album out. You know, they're they're all musicians and artists, and, and I get asked all the time, "What a, what exactly is Americana music?" They'll ask me, and I'll be like, mm, "Good question." So that's my first question to you. Well, there's there's the sort of emotional answer to give you, and that is if you can taste the dirt through your ears, mm, that's nice. Americana. <laughs> that's a great answer. Uh, I, maybe I should just leave it at that. Well, you know, Merriam-Webster put it in the dictionary. Congratulations and, on that. And, I, I was yeah, going to say that. Huge. Five years ago, you know, I remember when I was a kid, um, it, you know, it, you had a dictionary, and the teachers would say, you know, you would you were taught to look up a word before you used it, so... Um, Merriam-Webster's was kind enough after they uh, put the, uh, the word in the dictionary to allow me to, to make T-shirts which said, you know, Americana and sort of, you know, that Americana sort of, you know, uh, bullet font. Uh, and then on the back we just wrote, look it up, Merriam-Webster. And wow. here, here, it is, um, here it is from Merriam-Webster. Um, it's number three, by the way. So your job this year is to get it moved up to number two. Well, Americana <laughs> is a term that which is intrinsically American. What wasn't in the dictionary was a term for the musical. Well, well here it is, a genre of American music having roots in early folk and country music, according to Merriam-Webster. And I actually think that's already dated. Uh, because to Dave, I think it incorporates... I think it is broader. I think the dirt is broader. I think it incorporates... Blues, you know, you guys correctly on the Billboard chart have been including, you know, Nathaniel Ratliff. So he's got the soul to him mm -hmm. that's not alternative country. Bonnie Raitt is inspired by the blues. She's not Muddy Waters. We right. accept that Muddy Waters is the blues. Bonnie Raitt is something different. Bonnie Raitt is Bonnie Raitt. Um, how, so, how American is Americana music? Well, it, it, I think it, it, it's what has come out of this southeastern, you know, region that has, you know, that has, you know, developed country music, gospel music, bluegrass, you know, the, the, uh, these traditions grew from Appalachia to New Orleans by way of Nashville. Um, but the truth about it is the banjo, using bluegrass as a perfect example for this question, the banjo is an African instrument. It was brought over by slaves. Hmm. The fiddle is a European instrument. 
But what makes it beautiful and, and what is the great part of America is the melting pot. It actually took seven or nine different cultures to create this form of music that became American, but it's truly international if you think of right. the context of an African instrument and a Scottish instrument. And there are plenty of artists on the chart who aren't American. Uh, James Bay, for one. Um, I, always think Ameri- I always think Americana, and I said this before, represents honesty. Because I feel like when people talk about making an Americana record, it's the one they're not worried about anybody's opinion. They're making, they're pouring their heart out on record. And I think that's a beautiful, safe haven mm-hmm. of a music format, you know? I think it's great that you're spearheading a lot of this. And how exactly did the Americana Music Association get started? What's it? What What is its role? Well, my main goal is to sort of change the way the music industry looks mm-hmm. at music. Like we just changed the name at Billboard from the Folk Albums Chart to the Americana. Folk oh, that's Albums how you chart. asked how how it kind and, of started. And you were. Um, I must say congratulations because you were campaigning for that for a long time. And has that affected anything? I think everybody's thrilled that Billboard is, is on board. I, I think it's a landscape shift. I think the chart shows that Americana is, is a, uh, a good record sells. And I think the inc- by including Americana into, uh, in, into your charts, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a defining landscape shifting moment. I programmed a radio station once that we call AAA, the format, um, adult album alternative, and, and now uh, does Americana have a role in radio? For I don't think Americana is a format, and I don't know that I believe in formats. I think that formats um, has not been healthy for the music industry on the whole. I think, at least me, you know, I love the Preservation Hall jazz band. I love Patty Griffin. Um, I think John Doe and Bozeman, Montana, uh, appreciates Chris Stapleton, um, but also may appreciate Miles Davis, and and to me that's that's what's important. It's 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 what the music, how does music hit your soul, and and mm. what do you love? So I'm not really a fan of of formats. Do I think Americana has a place uh, at radio? I think it's everywhere. I mean, I was watching the NBA Finals, and and there's a commercial by Dawes. You know, and there's, it, it's like I'm hearing Americana on commercials all the time. It's actually, it's actually, I would rather have it be everywhere than just in one vertical line on one particular station on the radio dial. Hmm. Do people outside of Nashville know that term, Americana? Oh, I think people outside of Nashville get it, got it before Nashville did because Nashville is so commercial country centric. Mm-hmm. Case in point, you know, Miriam Webster. You know, put the term in the dictionary. They're based in Springfield, Massachusetts. Um, the Grammys introduced the first America. Best Is that America. where they're based? Webster's in Springfield. Mm-hmm. I lived there. I never even knew that. <laughs> they're you know the Grammys introduced the Best Americana Album of the Year award in two thousand nine, and they're based in Los Angeles. Um, I'm. I'm uh, there's a lot of neon country in this that uh, I think was swallowing Americana to to some degree. Um, so I do believe it's the exposure elsewhere that um, somebody once said, you know, the prophet's never welcome in his own home. Yeah. We're talking with Jed Hilly of the Americana Music Association and producer Dave Cobb. Just really appreciate you both being here. What, what's something recently that you heard that just knocked you out that you wouldn't have expected to? So, something great you could tell the listeners that you heard 
I have to say, sitting in Dave Cobb's studio while he and Anderson East were making a new record was unbelievable, oh. and I can't wait for that oh, record shucks. to come out. No, true. Dave? Uh, you know, it's, it's just funny. I'm always digging for, for old records and trying to find new inspiration, and, and uh, sometimes I find it when the artist walks into a new song, and I, I would have to go with Jed on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you, I can't wait for everybody to hear Anderson East. I, I think, you know, he walks in and he opens his mouth, and it's, it's awe-inspiring, so... I'm going to go with awesome. that, too. I, Makes I you want to go buy the record. album. It's not out yet. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear the record finished. We haven't finished it yet. Yeah, I know. You yeah, said yeah. It, it's not out yet. What, well, how do you listen to music? Uh, Just for enjoyment now. I'm not talking about when you want to hear something back you, that you recorded. It's very interesting. You know, I, I think... I, I'm going to say Apple Music is how I listen to music the most. Mm -hmm. And the reason why, because no cars have CD players in them anymore. So usually it's definitely finding new albums. You know, I'll get obsessed with a, a, a certain genre or I'll start doing research for a record. And, it, and it's great. iTunes or something like that. It's endless amount. You can just keep digging and digging and digging. Okay. And also, secondly, I have my friend Paul Kennelly who wrote White Mansions. And mm -hmm. he, to me, is, is my muse. And so I go over to his house and he makes me these little mixtapes. And I, he turns me on to the rarest, you know, soul recordings and rarest, you know, turn of the century mountain recordings. And so, I wow. really, yeah, so that's the only two things I really listen to, you know. Jed, how about you? How do you consume music? Um, I consume music mostly by going out. I, I, when I work, live like, music you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, okay. when I work, I, I work kind of in, in peace and, and quiet and very focused. My favorite times to work are between 4 and 10 in the morning, uh, in part, uh, at four because my kids are asleep um but i get up and i just you know I, I do a lot of the you know logistical work at at home and when i listen to music it's it's quite often i love listening to live music there's nothing it, it hits me in the soul um i listen to music in the car people send me cds and mm -hmm. uh, and i'll plug my well people send you it. both stuff all the time right to listen to it's hard to keep up with the, the volume of cds that come into the office so that may be why i rely on going out so tell me please the the album's not going away is it it's the album no i think around. it's i think it's actually back mm -hmm. i think it's back for the first time that i can remember since being a kid you know i feel like uh when you make an authentic true record and and and, and you you know you, you kind of put blinders onto the rest of the world and you make a a piece of art. I think people buy it. They support it. They'll buy the, the vinyl. They'll buy the custom color vinyl. They'll buy the, the stream of it. They'll. I mean, it's it's and they'll show up for the show. So I think the album is living now. I think it's it's a great alternative to everything else. And, and uh, I think it's so great. Well. Kids are listening to vinyl again. My theory about records is vinyl sounds great. There's no denying it. It's probably the best sounding medium. But I don't think it's the vinyl that people really want I think it's the the fact when you buy an old album it was a lot of really talented people in one room together humanly interacting without digital mediums mm -hmm. without clicks without rules and uh, you know RCAA you know, they had the, the Nashville A-team here in Nashville they had Motown had its own band of incredible players uh, Capitol Studios they, everybody had their own the, version they had the Wrecking Crew in California these incredible musicians, incredible writers, incredible singers. You had to be, you know, in a certain skill level to make an album. They made these records humanly. They're interacting. There's mistakes. There's a raw feel. I think that's why people like vinyl because most records are old records and they're digging for that feel. Mm -hmm. And now people are honest, uh, making great, great new records that have kind of capture that. But I think that's what people really like is the human interaction. I, I think, I think that's, that's, what's that's missing. an awesome note to end things on. Yeah. 
And uh, I just want to tell you both, it was a real treat to have you here. Yeah, uh, congratulations to both of you thank on you. your success. This is Jim Asker of Billboard with Dave Cobb and Jed Hilly, and thank you for listening. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. It was really Thanks good. Thanks thank for everything. So it was awesome. Now it's learning, learning to be a man. And it takes a man to teach a man. I thank the Lord for his guiding hand. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.